Hello and welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name's Stephen Walsh. Coming up, we'll be chatting to Corinne Perlman, the creative director at Myriad Editions, a publisher that's home to some brilliant comics creators, including Nicholas Streeton, Woodrow Phoenix, Kate Evans, Gareth Brooks, Henny Beaumont and Daryl Cunningham. But first up, some Avery Hill news. Tilly Walden fans will be delighted by an exciting new addition to our web store in the shape of a limited edition A3 print of the cover of Honor Sunbeam. Each print is individually signed and numbered and costs just £30, or you can pick up the print bundled with a copy of the book for £50, which gives you a saving of £4.99 from buying them separately. You'll need to be quick though, as the print run is restricted to just 200 copies, and once they're gone, they're gone. Head over to averyhillpublishing.com to grab one now. And now, here's some information on another comics podcast you may enjoy. In the monthly radio show on comics, Panel Borders, you can hear Alan Moore. Films, you see this gradual rehabilitation of Godzilla. Sandy Toxvig. There's something about the cartoon world that, honestly, in these grim times, is rather preferable to flesh and blood sometimes. Chris Riddell. I have a draw in my studio. Um, it's the naughty draw. And many more writers and artists talking about their craft. More info at www.panelborders.wordpress.com. Some other comics news now. London's Cartoon Museum has moved to a new location and will be reopening on Monday the 1st of July. The new spot is in Fitzrovia, up Berks for Circus, and is at 55 Wells Street. Anyone who visited the old location will know that the Cartoon Museum has a wonderful collection of original art and hosts loads of great events and exhibitions all year round, and the new premises offer them even more space and scope to display work. They've also announced details of their debut exhibition in the new space, a show called Comic Creators, The Famous and Forgotten, which features over 100 pages of original art from the 19th century to the present day, and contains at least 50 pages that have never been exhibited at the Cartoon Museum before. Find out more about their plans at www.cartoonmuseum.org. And now our chat with Corin Perlman. Hi Corin, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Um, good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, well, we miss you from London. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually popped over just uh, this weekend, just gone. It was a flying visit and it was me going to the British Museum for the manga show and Japan House for the Urasawa show. So, yeah, it was comics focused, but I'd say hop in and hop out rather than catch up with a lot of people. Well, yeah, I, I went to um, the manga exhibition last week, which I really enjoyed. It was great. I mean, it was packed full of stuff and I thought really well curated, actually. Incredibly busy as well when I was there. I, I mean, I know it's still early on in the run, but um, and going into the shop afterwards, you just heard the tills constantly uh, ringing. So it's good, good response, I think. Fantastic. I mean, I did spend quite a lot of time actually kind of listening to the um, publishers. They had sort of videos of uh, publishers talking, so I, I heard all of those and just picked out the bits that I was interested in and everything else. Yeah, it was good. Your role at uh, Myriad, where you work, is creative director. What does that entail? Well, I think it, it, it sort of entails all the other visual bits that aren't to do with the graphic novel list, although in fact it's far more collaborative and, and shared than, uh, than that might suggest. So, um, you know, so it means in theory, well, certainly at the start, I sort of had overall responsibility for the, you know, anything visual that was going out in actual practice because, you know, our output is so much more than it was when we started. You know, that responsibility is shared. So I still work on the thematic atlases we do. So like the kind of the women's atlas, which we published a new edition of last year. 
So you will occasionally kind of find me doing things like kind of layouts and uh, talking to other designers and so on who might be doing nitty gritty on a job. And certainly, like all our book covers, when they're when they're not by a graphic novelist, I mean they they're all outsourced, and so we kind of brief you know the covers out. But yeah, it's just a kind of a general role of. Uh, visual responsibility, which uh, I can't necessarily keep up with. <laughs> yeah, because if you, you know, the thing about publishing is that, you know, you have more authors. And so at Myriad, we like to kind of look after our authors, however far back. And so, you know, it's it's uh, more people to look after, you know, that, that we're really proud of our backlist. So why wouldn't one? Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of like the entire body of work is, is what makes a publishing house, isn't it? It was only doing research uh, for, the, for this interview that I sort of delved into the origins of Myriad. I, I had no idea how sort of related to the, the, the comics arm that I know so well and, and unrelated what it was at the start. It's, it's essentially, first sort of publications were infographic atlases relating to sort of health and sort of social and political issues. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. The series State of the World Atlas was uh, a sort of a topical series, kind of different topics, full of infographics and maps. And that kind of was actually started way back in the 1980s and when kind of Myriad was formed in order to kind of take over the Atlas series. So that was all that we did. Well, that was quite enough. But when the Atlases started, they were all kind of done by hand. I mean, no computers were used. It was all sort of pasted down and so on and, and photographed. And uh, and then, of course, with the kind of rise of the computer and so on and the relevant software, they became topical atlases and topical mapping and so on became not quite so unusual, which meant that our, you know, the numbers of books that we were producing fell. And so we wanted to diversify into, you know, into our other in interests. And Candida Lacey, who's now the publisher at Myriad, she um, came from a, a background of literary publishing and also sort of feminist publishing. She used to work at Pandora back in the early 90s, I think. And, you know, I've always been sort of involved as a cartoonist and, you know, freelance designer and so on. And my other work with Comic Company meant that I was producing a lot of illustrated material. So, and I'd always wanted to kind of, especially because my uh, Comic Company, who I was involved with, was publishing health information but often in quite a, a very kind of visual form, but not necessarily long form comics. And so, you know, I'd always had this kind of feeling that, you know, graphic novels would, as long as they didn't ca carry an overt message, they were such a good format for getting across, you know, this kind of uh, information that was part of everybody's lives, but people weren't necessarily kind of talking about it or drawing it. Of course, you know, now they are. I mean, there's comics about daily life are so much part of our lives now. It's, you know, amazing to think that that wasn't the case kind of 20 years ago, really. And just the idea of, you know, a, a section of, of publishing called graphic medicine, where it's people talking directly about sort of, uh, particular ailments or their own experience with uh, various sort of diseases or medical conditions? Obviously, because of my sort of interest in that field any, anyway, that's sort of one of the reasons why we 
develop quite a list of graphic medicine. But, I mean, it is, you know, sort of going back to what I was saying, it is quite clear to me that the ones that work best are those ones that have a, you know, an overarching story or whatever that may be nothing ostensibly to do with a health message or anything else, you know. So books like Ian Williams's The Bad Doctor and the Lady Doctor, you know, they're fiction. They're certainly based on his experiences of being a GP as well as a cartoonist and um, working behind the, the doctor's desk. But, but actually, they are fiction and they're stories about people and you know, it's not about a message. The fact that there may be some very kind of interesting and useful health information that might come out as a result of it is is not, you know, I, th- I think those are the stories that work very, very well. But equally, those that are obviously about a health issue are also very useful because, it, it you know, they can provide, you know, that they're so sort of useful in terms of kind of teaching and communication about a particular illness or syndrome or whatever. It's a field that we certainly kind of want to continue with. Um, and there's so much good work coming out. I mean, there's like basically I see so much stuff that is immensely publishable, whether it comes under that graphic medicine or anything, bracket or anything else. I mean, people are, are creating such brilliant stuff. We'll, we'll talk about the, the competitions that Myriad uh, run later, but I, I've noticed there there's been, you know, in the years that you've, you've run uh, the competitions, it's, you know, not just been a case of the winner gets published. You've, you've spotted other work within the entries there that you've, you've gone on to publish. So it's, it is a thing where, as you say, you're seeing, you're not sh- scrabbling around for stuff. You're seeing more things than you can probably find space for in the schedule. Yeah, no, completely. And I think that's, that's across the board because actually, um, you know, I see a lot of, uh, I, I get a lot of submissions from agents too, um, as well as people submitting directly outside of the competitions. And, you know, there's like such high quality work and and i'm you know we haven't actually myriad hasn't actually kind of done any bought in any translations yet although i would love to i mean there's so much so much kind of good stuff that is published elsewhere and um you know really needs to be translated and made available here and you know kind of there's a sometimes there's a practical point to that that it's a lot easier to promote a book if you've got an author resident and um able to go off to Thought Bubble or whatever else and uh, or Waterstones Brighton or you know and present their work but uh, um, but I think um, you know that's not the only way of promoting a book and uh, I think I think you know it would be lovely to be able to expand our range. So it's quite a serendipitous moment where Myriad are looking to pivot beyond the, the atlases they start doing and you're you know in company already they're not going to recruit someone to take over the, the graphic novels, they've got someone on staff who's already immersed in the world of, of comics and cartooning. Could you tell us a little bit about Cartoon County, which is another one of your projects? Yeah, well, Cartoon County is some... Um, so that's a, 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 the Sussex Association of Cartoonists and Comic Strip Artists. And that was, um, that was formed in the early 90s, so that was really a, just a kind of a network of, uh, of people. It was like David Lloyd and myself... Um, David Edgar Booth, I think, whose, whose idea maybe it was to start 
start this off. So that's always been, that's certainly separate from Myriad or anything else. That's just a kind of network of people getting together once a month. You know, at the beginning or for several years, it was really just getting together for a drink and a chat. And kind of now we always have the guest presenter talking about their work with Alex Fitch, who's with very fortunate to have living locally in Brighton. You know, I first heard about Nye Wright's book, Things to Do in a Retirement Home Trailer Park, uh, through meeting him at Cartoon County. Um, and, uh, that was, uh, and also we published, so we published Nye's book. And, um, I also loved Will Volley's work. And I think he was a student when he first came to Cartoon County. And, um, he sort of went away for a few years and then came back with his book. And I sort of it was so exciting because I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, um, I'd love to publish something by Will because I just really loved his drawing and so on. And, you know, there are other people as well who, I mean, you know, the talent, the people who just the, the general network, people who kind of turn up to Cartoon County as with Ladies Do Comics as well, which I also go to. There's so many... Um, you know, so many really good creators there. It does feel like Brighton's a real hotbed for, for comics in every sort of sense. Yeah, actually, kind of weirdly, it doesn't have very much gallery space. It's quite poor on that. But, you know, for kind of a town that is sort of in theory bursting with artists. But then, of course, it has the sort of open house thing and so on each year. But, uh, but yeah, just as a, um, it is a place that and it's very kind of gratifying when authors you're publishing kind of then kind of come down and live in uh, Brighton. That's very handy. <laughs> As I say, I was fascinated to sort of see this thread where, you know, your involvement in other projects as well as Mirad that obviously tally up with the, the comics that you're putting out there. And, you know, um, not just things like organisational, but um, the sort of curatorial thing as well, your involvement with uh, the Inking Woman exhibition. Yes, yeah. I really enjoyed enjoyed that project so much. And that was entirely due to Kath Tate, who... Uh, um, who runs Cath Take Cards, and she'd always had this idea that she wanted to do an exhibition of women cartoonists. And uh, as she says, it took her about 25 years to actually do it. But um, uh, thanks to Anita O'Brien, who was the director and curator of the Cartoon Art Museum, she was able to get together the uh, the exhibition. And she, you know, I mean, she's Cath very generously kind of sponsored it. Um, and also contributed towards the book that Myriad now now publishes. So, uh, and that was such a, an exciting project to work. A lot, a lot of hard work, let me say, but, you know, especially I kind of remember working on the index sort of all weekend, kind of, thank goodness it was pouring outside, but I had absolutely no sleep whatsoever. You know, that was that was very good. And Nicholas Streeton was the co-editor with Kath of that book. And um, I think... Uh, you know, they. I mean, we've got over 150 women cartoonists in it, and we could probably double it by now, and that was only a year ago, you know, or 18 months ago. And, of course, talking of female cartoonist-centred exhibitions, you yourself featured in the Comics Creatrix show at the House of Illustration a few years back. Yes, yeah. I mean, I'm, I kind of always describe myself as a resting cartoonist because, uh, I mean, like all of my time seems to be... Uh, taken up with, you know, editorial and production things at Myriad, but I 
you know, occasionally I, I might draw something. I've got a, um, I've got a strip in, uh, there's a, a new book by Abrams Comic Arts, which is coming out in September called Me Too. That's an anthology of stories sort of connected with Me Too. Yeah, so I've drawn something for that. Um, you know, I do the occasional, I do the occasional drawing or story, but very, very rarely these days, you know. You know, I, I, I always think, oh, I must do more. And um, I don't know, I think kind of any anyone who works in in publishing and particularly something that's so sort of close to their heart, you know, you obviously, you always know that there's more that you can do. And I, I think so much of what I do is to do with kind of promotion and putting on events or supporting events that some of my colleagues are putting on. I mean, actually, I'm working on, I'm working editorially on Daryl Cunningham's work today, but that's really quite unusual. He's so good, and, you know. It's great because I should kind of learn about how the way the world works through Daryl, you know, because he sort of analyzes it. He is extraordinary, actually. I mean, he, he's sort of one of the few people who just kind of starts on page one and then gets on with it. And having kind of digested everything that it, he thinks it's worth reading about the subject. But he is, uh, I, I mean, what's, it's always fascinating to know how pe- people work in such different ways and, Sometimes when you kind of sign someone up and, you know, you commission them and they sort of want to know what's expected of them. And I said, I don't know. It depends how you work, you know. In terms of your own cartooning, when you were first starting out, what sort of places were you being published in and sending work into? I was was doing kind of very little of that. I was doing sort of mostly... My work as a cartoonist was for sort of like a lot, a lot of it was for educational publishers and um, I did, you know, for writers and readers cooperative who were doing these um, documentary comic books. That was sort of the kind of work I was doing. I did a book on broadcasting for, for Camden Press who had their own series of documentary comic books. Um, and through that, I met Philip Boys, who was um, an editor at Camden Press. And then we set up Comic Company together and did two anthologies, The Facts of Life and First Love. And that was in, I think First, First Love was in, we published in about 1986. And that we, that was where I kind of met quite a lot of cartoonists. I met Woodrow then and, you know, David Hine and various other people who contributed to those anthologies. And then, you know, Philip and I had enjoyed the process so much that we started up comic company which had a health interest partly because philip's partner maggie was doing a lot of work for ngos on health issues and i was uh i was sort of doing a lot of design work not for the same charities or ngos but again a lot of it was sort of on health issues and so we set up comic company to you know, work with some of these really great cartoonists on various sort of health and well-being issues. I mean, some of the stuff that we did at the beginning is still in print today. The Family Planning Association, we did a whole series of booklets on sexual health. Well, I think I started with one on puberty, on not in puberty, on, on periods. And then there were four girls, four boys, which... Um, uh, Four Boys was illustrated by Woodrow, Phoenix and Ed Hillier. Um, and a group of us kind of worked on, on these booklets. And um, I mean, they're still, even though 
Family Planning Association, FPA, has sadly kind of met its demise recently. But I think the booklets are going to go on in some shape or form, which is which is great. Obviously, the majority of your work has been editorial rather than working as a cartoonist. But do you feel that having that background as a creator yourself gives you a bit more sympathy for creators and sort of encourage you to sort of make Myriad more accessible to um, new creators? I think the thing for me is to find is, is to sort of find out what people want to do and to kind of try and, you know, to try and make whatever it is they're working on the best that it can possibly be within their own rules. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I mean, that's why we like, for instance, with Sarah Lightman's book, which we've just sort of published, which is sort of, very, you know, at the most it's got, say, two illustrations per page, but it's normally, you know, one one image per page and commentary at the bottom. And, you know, at the beginning, she said, well, you know, I mean, how many, I don't know about kind of ganging it up. I mean, how many images should I have on the page and so on? You know, well, obviously that wasn't the way she was working. She didn't see, you know, when she was thinking about what she wanted to say, she saw it mostly as a single image with a bit of text on top or below it or near it. And that was it. And that's very much the spirit in which it it is now. And uh, so it was actually kind of working with that. And then Woodrow was very helpful on that as a designer. He, you know, kind of came in and sort of tidied everything up and made it look really good. Uh, actually kind of came up with an, an ending, which is great. It's, you know, sometimes, I mean, you know, I've been working on this book with Sarah for ages. And, um, you know, sometimes somebody can come in and say, Oh, yeah. I mean, what about that? And they'll just kind of sort of sort out some major transformation in a book. And that's often, you know, the role of a, a copy editor is incredibly important. We, you know, we have a very good copy editor who we've used, worked with at um, Myriad Linda McQueen. And she, you know, uh, I mean, you know, but that is a copy editor or something. Oh, well, no, don't have the end there kind of put it right at the beginning and then we'll start again, you know, and it, it's sort of actually sometimes, I, I, that's sort of my favourite part of a book when you have most of the pages there and you're putting it out on the floor and you're moving chapters around in chunks and that's always kind of really exciting when it gets physical like that. But, you know, it's different. It's, uh, um, Kate Charlesworth, his book we're publishing... In July, sensible footwear, which is a, a sort of glorious pageant of LGBTQTI history, with, as she says, the emphasis on the L. That is, uh, you know, that that is amazing, and like her, she's such a, you know, experienced artist, and you know, with Kate, it was, I mean, you know, everything was storyboarded, and she knew what she wanted, and she had done amazing research, and the whole wall of her room was full of kind of colour-coded post-it notes, you know, saying what kinds of look happened where in the book. And, you know, with Kate editorially, it was part of saying, you know, do you really need all that stuff on the page? You know, could you just sort of drop one or two anecdotes, please? And it was just letting it breathe, really, because, you know, has, I mean, and there was an exhibition really recently of some of the pages that she'd done, and it was so great to see it kind of big and... You know, just to see the sheer amount of like brilliant artwork she'd done for it, it's really exciting. 
I'm sure there could be more off the page too, but anyway, I felt I'd. You mentioned uh, Woodrow there as a um, work in his work as a designer, but um, yeah. am I right in thinking he was the first uh, cartoonist that you published work by in terms of like Myriad with Rumble Strip? Actually, I think Kate Evans was first. Kate Evans with her book on climate change, Funny Weather. We'll get that a bit muddled up, but I think actually it was it was Kate first. Uh, she did funny weather about climate change for us. And then she did, you know, she said, I want to do a book about breastfeeding. And she did these two amazing sort of illustrated manuals with a lot of comic strip, but, you know, text and illustration. Um, and they sort of one on breastfeeding and then later on pregnancy. And they do an am- amazingly well. I mean, she's sort of an incredible author and, more recently, she's published the biography of Rosa Luxemburg, which Verso published, and then threads about her um, her experience working with refugees in Calais. I remember seeing the artwork, the cover artwork for Red Rosa at the Comics Creatrix exhibition. It's like five times what it is on the page, and yes, uh, quite yeah. an incredible, overwhelming image. Like really, really beautiful. I remember we did a, a launch. You did a launch party for Bump at Gosh while I was working there, and it was absolutely rammed, <laughs> like incredibly. And also, it was one of those great events where we'd always talk about the valuable events for Gosh being the ones where it's like fifty people in the room that have never been in the shop before. You know, it's that sort of book where it brings in a completely different audience to, to yes, what you yeah. expect in a comic shop, which is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And kind of Kate is so great. She's so sort of infectious in her humour and gener- generous as a person. She is, uh, she's fantastic. And, you know, then it's just, I mean, that, I uh, know exactly what you mean by that cover of Red Rosa. It is astonishing. It really is. It's so good. And, you know, going back to Woodrow, I mean, he's, um, I mean, we're hoping to do another book with him. That is uh, very much on the cards. But he's, you know, he's finally got an American edition um, of Rumble Strip, which is not going to go under the title Rumble Strip. So, and I better not reveal the name in case it hasn't been revealed yet. I don't know. <laughs> That's um, so. This is a new publisher in New York called in Brooklyn called Street Noise Books, and um, they are. And Danny Noble is also being published by them. But they've got a really interesting list coming up, and uh, it's. But it's fantastic. To see Woodrow's book being published in the States finally, and that's well, how long has that taken? It's about kind of 10, 11 years. So it's just so gratifying, you know, because it's one of the books that we're most proud of doing, Rumble Strip, and sort of everybody knows it. Um, don't know that everybody buys it, but they certainly know of it because it's such a kind of distinctive classic book. So he's doing new pages for that, so it'll look great. Really looking forward to that being published. Just in, in terms of, you know, talking about the, the competitions that you run to sort of find new creators, obviously focusing on the, the first graphic novel uh, award. Your, your first winner in 2012 was Gareth Brooks, who obviously yes. gives us a, a sort of a link to uh, Avery Hill in that we've published things by Gareth as well. But um, the Black Project, which was the the, the book that, that came out of uh, that particular win um, is uh, a remarkable piece of work, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was 
fantastic. And I, you know, I always kind of say that as soon as I saw his entry, I thought, oh my God, you know, that, <laughs> that is just like, is completely amazing. You know, it just had everything. But it was, it was quite, you know, when we got to the kind of final stage, um, that was by no, you know, there were some members of the, the judging committee who weren't necessarily convinced that it was a, a, a graphic novel or a comic book or whatever you like to call it. So it was a, quite a lot of debate going on. But he's a remarkable creator because he's, you know, he's a very, very good writer as well as such an innovative artist and um, constantly kind of trying different things and, you know, like finding laborious techniques for himself to then kind of commit for a whole book. Uh, but his, you know, his work is is really amazing. I've said to, to Gareth on Hill, just talking about the Black Project, you know, the the, the sort of the novelty value of of, the, of how it's produced is, and you know, the the uh, sheer ability that he exhibits doing it is impressive. But in terms of the writing, tonally, it's such a triumph, isn't it? It's such a wonderful piece of dark humour that it could really go so many different ways and could really, you know, fall off a cliff quite easily. But he he just like handles it superbly. I think he's a he's a tremendous yeah, yeah. creator. No, it's, he's got that sort of you know the well particularly in the Black Project you know the voice of the unreliable narrator. You poor kind of boy where you don't know you're sort of wincing. <laughs> saying that he doesn't realise it himself. So you've got this, I mean, it is, I was sort of liken it to, you know, early Ian McEwan or something like that, but it is, it's, it's such a strong voice. He is a very good writer. I mean, I, do, I remember him telling me that he did a, um, when he was at the Royal College of Art, he did a creative writing course. And, um, you know, I think uh, he's he does have an exceptional way with language um, his the second book that he did for Myriad of Thousand Coloured Castles. I mean that is just an astonishing sort of bit of writing. And I remember at one point just thinking, you know, I was I was um, making corrections to the text or whatever, or kind of marking it up. And I thought, oh, actually, I'm, I just kind of wrote out the whole text. I mean, I kind of typed it in and made a typescript because I just wanted to relish it really and then you know it was sort of I was taking so long marketing up market marking it up because it's not easy on his artwork it's not it's not easy just to get a a pencil and do things you know you've got to you need a bit of white space around anyway so for whatever reason it's just so sort of funny and perceptive and uh he's a very good creator of character. And I think that's, you know, that is a a really important thing too, is just, you know, the people whose characters come alive, particularly in, in, uh, I don't know, it's such a, it's such a skill. I can't put my finger on how people do it, but his characters are certainly very much kind of 3D and, you know, win your sympathy and amazing. And then in, in 2014, uh, Jade Sarson wins for for the love of God, Marie, which yeah. visually, you know, very different, but beautiful again, isn't it? Such sort of delicacy to the work. I mean, that, that's extraordinary. And actually, with, you know, with Jade, she knew exactly what she wanted to do, was kind of teaching me something. And I kind of remember I at some point, I said, kind of, Jane, what are these kind of lines across the kind of bottom of the page? Said, oh, don't you know what those are? You know, they're like sort of uh, 
a visual pause or something. And I thought, oh, sorry. So we've got such an understanding of her medium and love of her craft and so on. And again, you know, her, I mean, her characters were great, a kind of real sort of warmth to them. And, you know, Marie herself is this sort of wonderful character who, you know, grows with the book and then her, you know, with her daughter. I mean, very, very really kind of warm and also the you know the the ongoing series that jade does cafe swada that's sort of excellent as well i mean i it kind of feels she's a bit like sort of almost of mopan or something she's got her her sort of little milieu a group of people who frequent these two cafes side by side and um you know the stories that develop around them and so on that's kind of so skillful really is you know she's a, i think she's a brilliant artist and then just last year, uh, Jenny Robbins with Biscuits is the, the most yes. recent. So that was great. And I have, I have to say with all these competitions, I mean, you know, honestly, we, I mean, we're publishing Jenny Robbins as the winner. We're also publishing Sabah Khan from the shortlist. You know, that shortlist, I mean, it was just so sort of stellar. I think kind of what, uh, I mean, Jenny, Jenny Robbins' piece was just such an exuberant romp through. I, I do love London books. So she has all these interwoven stories, these kind of characters kind of going, you know, so we're visiting each of them. So there are, uh, I'm not sure how many groups of characters there are. But again, you know, she's um, got this real warmth of, of character which you know I kind of I so admire I mean it's quite a sort of structural feat to kind of bring it all together and so on and she's kind of working hard on it at the moment but I'm uh, really excited for that so that, that'll be out in 2021 yeah and as you say just looking at the shortlist for each time you've run the competition there are names that I know and creators that I know are, you know, excellent. So you, you really sort of spoke for choice there, aren't you? I mean, obviously, it's sort of, we all, you know, no publisher can really keep up. And also the, you know, the, I mean, if it were just to cost the cost of paper, that would be fine. But it's, it's all the promotion and so on that has to go into it. You know, I mean, we, you know, our costs are, Definitely not just the print, it, it, it's the time and effort and involvement of promoting, you know, publicising, promoting and so on. And also you don't want to crowd out your own creators with other creators. Do you? It has to be a thing where you, you, you've got enough work that you can focus on and, and promote in a way that you're happy to do. Yes, exactly. You have to kind of stagger, stagger it a bit. And in the theory, I'm, I only work three days a week on this, so, you know... <laughs> Um, things might be slightly different if I uh, officially did more, but since I unofficially do more anyway, I'm not quite sure <laughs> where that that leaves my maths. But but you know, it would be. Um, I mean, obviously, it would be great to have more people, you know, involved in working on these on this publishing strand. Um, I'd love to be able to do that. I mean, we've got, for the first graphic novel competition, we do have support from the the Lakes International Comic Art Festival, uh, which is funding for four years, and that's really helped support that programme, which is great. And we're, we'll be announcing a new competition in October at, at the Lakes Festival, you know, so people should definitely get their skates on for that. And there'll probably be a, a submission window of around three to four months, I think. Excellent. So there's everyone's next target. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it, it is, you know, because I was working out. I mean, I think I'm trying to remember how many, you know, it, we had just over a hundred entrants last time, and so there's a pretty, you know, in terms of percentage, it's a, a pretty high chance that you might get published in terms of, you know, how it how it works out. You know, you might have a one in fifty chance of getting published at, at, at that rate. Um, which isn't bad. So it's kind of obviously if, if too many people apply, then those odds go up. But <laughs> there's this French publisher, Jean-Luc Fromental, who um, uh, does Denoel graphic, and he, uh, he's he got a fantastic list, very small and expertly curated. And, um, you know, I remember him turning, you know, we do submit our, you know, authors, we, you know, we represent their rights where possible and try and get a foreign edition for them. And I always remember him rejecting some, uh, some book proposal we had. And he said, oh, I have to be, you know, I really liked it, but I, you know, have to be fussy to the point of being choosy. I can't, you know, I, I, I have to be very, very kind of careful with what I can pick. I'm so sorry. And, um, and I think that's, you know, I think that is the case. It, you know, sometimes it just comes down to, you know, I think this book is great and it's really, I can see what the author's trying to do. It's really good and I'm not necessarily the right person to be an advocate for this book because it's not, you know, it's not something that I, you know, I would have to make a leap of faith to be an advocate for it, even though I can see how good it is. You know, with such a small list, obviously, you know, you have to take on the things that you feel most sort of strongly about that you can, you know, m make the best case for. I mean, sometimes I say to an author, look, you're doing so well self-publishing. There's really good sales. I'm not sure that we're going to do much better than that. You know, and I think that's a really good point. And we, you know, we, I mean, actually, kind of somebody like Gareth Brooks does really, you know, he's got a great profile at fairs, book fairs and so on. Um, and he, you know, and he sells, he sells a lot of his books that way. And that's kind of great. You know, he started self-publishing and he continues to do it and he does it really well. And, you know, a lot of people who I really admire, who I'd love to do something with if I could, but actually I, I also see that they're doing really well themselves. I mean, there aren't that many comics authors who can make a living just from their, you know, graphic novels alone, you know, whether or not they've got a, a sort of an official publisher. So, um, uh, so yeah, diversifying is what we all have to do. Corinne, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck with um, all the new projects and books. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Thanks to Corinne again for talking to us, and thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy. Don't forget, if you'd like to help the show, rating and reviewing it wherever you get your podcasts from is really useful. Thanks a lot.